So you have organizations doing the work of trying to push forward into a new direction. And then you also have organizations taking 17 steps back as we saw with Basecamp. So I think what's very interesting right now would be to figure out what kind of organization am I in actually? Am I in the kind of organization that's taking 17 steps forward and meeting the challenge where we're at and saying, okay, how do we live abolitionist lives? How do we create a community after capitalism falls? How, do, how does our organization last until 2030? And then you have these organizations who are like, let's go back to 1983. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tim Sonova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about, well, that. Earlier this year, podcasting's favorite co-host, Lauren Ruffin, and I produced Work Shouldn't Suck's Ethical Reopening Summit. The event took place online Tuesday, April 27th, and featured eight sessions, 25 amazing speakers, and covered a whole host of topics related to the ethical reopening of workplaces amid the COVID-19 pandemic. We raced to produce the summit from start to finish in just three weeks as we felt the urgency and stress mounting as workplaces were in the midst of reopening decisions. Several months on, we still feel the content is as necessary as ever, so we decided to release each of the sessions in podcast form. In each of the eight sessions, you'll hear the conversations just as the summit attendees did. As a reminder, in late April 2021, COVID vaccine distribution was just gaining speed, and we had yet to begin hearing about the Delta variant. From that vantage point in time, it very much looked like by fall 2021, things might be settling back into somewhat of a quote-unquote normal routine. As I record this preamble in fall 2021, that's not the case. We're now talking about breakthrough infections, booster shots, schools reopening and closing again. Hospital ICUs are packed in states across the U.S., and still how to safely gather indoors as temperatures again begin to drop with the change in seasons. In the summit's opening plenary titled A Year in the Life, Lauren Ruffin is joined by Vanessa Roanhorse and Cyrus Marcus Ware as they discuss what they've learned this past year and how the knowledge and experience can help craft thriving workplaces. Lauren and I get things rolling, so let's jump over to the action. Before we launch into our conversation with Cyrus and Vanessa, I want to take a quick moment to share some of what we saw from our workplace survey. Thank you so much to everyone who provided feedback on the, the survey. We'll be sending this out as well, so if it's a little small on your screen, don't worry. Lauren's actually seeing this for the first time, so she's living the excitement with, with all of you. We had this five-question survey where we asked, it was multiple choice, and we asked people, how many days a week do you expect to work in the office as of the fall? How many days do you prefer? Almost no one would prefer to be in the office five days a week or even four days a week. Otherwise, these graphs are all over the place, and I look forward to digging into what this might mean um, in our, our future conversations. Next, we have, when is your organization planning to let more than a handful of employees back into the office? Shaving off the edges for that happened already and, and um now before January 22nd, it, it looks like summer and fall. However, a third of, of respondents still don't know. And, and not an insignificant number of companies went entirely virtual, entirely remote as, as a result of the past year. When do you expect to attend an in-person indoor conference or performance of at least 100 people? Almost two-thirds said not before January. A remaining third said the last quarter of this calendar year. So for those working, for those of us working in sectors where we convene people, for example, the cultural sector, people coming together for performances, we'll be diving in today. What does that mean for us and our organizations and our missions? And lastly, 
when do you expect to fly again for work? Some people are already doing this. Some people expect in the next month or so. Overwhelmingly, most people say not before the fall or, or next year. So we'll be sharing those in, in the email that goes out so you can dig into that. But we launched this summit with two amazing, amazing guests who we've had on um, our live stream and podcast before, Vanessa Roanhorse and Cyrus Marcus, where to make the most of the rest of our time, without further ado, going to welcome in Vanessa and bring in Cyrus here. Hello. Hey, everyone. And with that, I'm going to pull myself out of the feed so the three of you can have a conversation and I'll be back at the very end. So have a good one, everyone. <laughs> Live streaming is such a sport. It's like my, it like really fulfills all of my adrenaline junkie needs. Um, <laughs> How are y'all today? I'm good. I mean, it's Tuesday. I can't believe it's Tuesday. It feels like it's Friday. Uh, not because it feels like it's the weekend, but because it feels like so much has happened. But I'm good. I'm well. It's nice to it's nice to be with you early in the morning. Vanessa, how are you doing? I'm good. I started off my, my day talking about finances and, um, you know, it, that's its own cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> But I'm good. I'm I'm happy. I'm in Albuquerque. It's gray out, which never isn't really common here. So it's kind of nice to have like weather happening. Yeah. We're supposed to get some rain. Uh, and I know we've got yeah. wildfires. We've got wildfires fire south of here already. It seems like the season's already kicked off, unfortunately. So the rain that's coming will be really helpful. Well, I'm really excited to, to spend time with y'all this morning. And the two of you don't know each other. So I feel like what's going to happen is that beautiful crackle when like probably kindred souls meet for the first time. It's going to happen, you know, we're going to record it. So it's going to be really brilliant. But I really think it's important to, to kick off with y'all because what we're really talking about today is, you know, as people are rushing to reopen, how do we do so in a way that is more sustainable, both like for the earth, the planet, and for us as people, where perhaps we can build new systems and structures and ways of working. And I know the two of you do a lot of thinking and are like sort of engage in like radical transformation and radical imagination about what, what world and our world and life can be. So just super, you know, again, like really excited that you're framing um, this for us. I'll give a brief intro of, of y'all and then we'll let you jump in and introduce yourselves because I feel like both of your work is so expansive that, you know, reading a bio doesn't do it justice. And I also know that because when you're when you're multifaceted, the things you're thinking about day to day and what you're doing changes day to day, week to week. So I want y'all to talk about what's top of mind for you. Vanessa is a really, really um, good friend of mine, my, my heart. We met, I think Vanessa was the second person I met several years ago and I moved to Albuquerque. We've been um, inseparable since then. Her work with Native Women Lead has been transformational. Working now with a lot of finance is just doing radical, radical things. I don't want to, I don't want to, what do they say? Spill the can of worms or something like that. Spill the beans. <laughs> I don't want to vomit it all over before you get to share. Cyrus is based in, in Canada, does amazing work with the Black Lives Matter movement up there. I know uh, we've not been hearing a lot in the States. I know our friends to the North have been going through it with regard to racial justice over the last couple of years and for just as long as we have in the States. And their work as an artist, as an educator, as an activist is also multifaceted. So with that, maybe Vanessa, you want to give your brief intro and a, vis and a visual description for our audience? Definitely. Yat A, Vanessa Roanhorse Yanshin. I am Dineh Navajo from Navajo Nation. I live here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on Tila lands. And I am a 
short indigenous woman who has mostly white hair, little bit of black left, not very much anymore, wearing black glasses, black lipstick. I guess my my easy working in office blazer over my pajamas. And behind me in a room that's got a red wall with some images up there and some storage behind me. I'm really happy to be here. And thank you, Lauren. I I honestly moved to Albuquerque almost six years ago. I had been living away from the Four Corners in my community for about 20 plus years. And upon getting back here, trying to reacquaint, build friendships, you know, it's a lot harder in your 40s to make friends sometimes because life is just so full. And just meeting you was it was it was magical and it still continues to be. So I appreciate that. The love is there right back at you. I'm happy to say that I am my own agent and so own my own company called Road Horse Consulting. We are an indigenous women led think tank, or at least that's what we kind of believe we do. We do a lot of work in capital access, economic development. We're using a lot of evaluation methods lately to support people who are trying to build new, whether it's lending products or design more effective ways to like understand economic data and why it matters and what what should be we really be tracking. And so gratefully we use sort of our indigenous evaluation methodologies and we think the plurality of those methodologies really are game changing because they really focus on people and planet versus short-term outcomes and like job growth. <laughs> so we're really trying to push on that side. And then on the capital access side, you know, Lauren, you mentioned Native Women Lead, which is another piece of my heart work. And for me, Native Women Lead started because of my own journey to start a company as a brown indigenous woman and how painful that was and how lonely it was. And so Native Women Lead is now a global, fast global, globally growing organization focus on investing, lifting, scaling Indigenous women into positions of CEO and leadership. All of this kind of balled up for me because um, trying to start initiatives, companies, and and, and access to resources was so non-existent. I am now fully in the dreaming of new capital pathways for people and really looking at how do we innovate around underwriting, uh, risk and valuation, and then, frankly, um, building the type of, of products that actually leapfrog and amplify what people are building. So it's been it's been a good it's been a good time. I hope that's a good introduction. It's beautiful. Cyrus, tell us about about you and what you're thinking about lately. Hey, everybody, Lauren, it's great to see you. And it is so wonderful to meet. I'm so I want to hear more about this innovation hub and and what you're doing. My name is Cyrus Marcus Ware. I use he him pronouns. I'm based in Takaranto or Toronto, the part that was underwater at the time of the Toronto purchase. So it's the unceded territory of the Mississaugas of the credit. I'm wearing a blue uh, shirt with black polka dots. I have a long ostrich feather or emu feather uh, earring that I'm wearing that I got when I was in Australia. I have uh, blonde dreadlocks piled in a messy bun. I have a bunch of neon bracelets that my daughter made me on my wrists. And I'm in front of a very messy background of kids drawing and kids kids everything, uh, just sort of on every surface. And I have brown skin and I'm a Black person. I'm a Black trans, disabled and mad artist, activist, and scholar. 
and that's what I look like. <laughs> and that's, I have a, a short beard too. I am an organizer. I've been organizing for about 25 years. I've also been an artist for about 25 years and have been in the art sector, working in large institutions and also working independently as a curator and also as an artist. And I've spent 25 years really working within this milieu and trying to understand how to make sense of what it means to work in the arts. You know, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to make sense of that. But at the same time, I've also spent the same 25 years as an organizer, as an activist. So to me, I've been really drawn to the possibility that the world could be different than it currently is. So I've been organizing around disability justice and trans justice and Black liberation for 25 years. Most recently, I helped to co-found Black Lives Matter Canada, which is the presence of the Black Lives Matter movement here in Northern Turtle Island and Inuit Nunigat. And there are chapters in Montreal and Vancouver and 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 Fredericton and, and, and all over and growing. And so I helped to sort of steward that organization and help to, to make sure that we are helping the chapters to do all the great work that they need to do. And then I also work as an educator. Uh, so I, I teach at Matthew University. I teach in the arts but I also teach systems thinking and leadership at the BAM Center. And I'm really interested in the possibility of creating workplaces where we all could thrive. I'm so fascinated by that chart that many people were like, I'd like to be in the office zero days of the week, because I think that we can invent new ways of being, and now is the time to do it. So that's me, uh, and it's great to be here. Awesome. Wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so that's a great um, segue into what I kind of wanted. It, it's like manna from the heavens. You know, I was like, what am I going to, what like brilliant thing am I going to ground us in today? And then luckily Basecamp totally screwed the poop yesterday. So I don't know if it's manna, manna from the heavens or just the usual shit show that rains down on us. <laughs> just name me the difference <laughs> You're so right. So I just dropped a link to the changes at Basecamp post that came out yesterday in Hopkins. Our whole audience has it. I want to ground our conversation here because I really can't think of a more textbook example of what not to do as a well-respected company. And so for anyone who's not familiar with Basecamp, they are a company that makes project management software I'd say millions of people use it every day. They've been really vocal about how they grew. They didn't take investment dollars. They really tried to pride themselves on building a, you know, a good, healthy corporate culture that, you know, I look to often as, you know, as I was building Crux, you know, as I'm having conversations about work shouldn't suck, you know, sort of moving slowly, not taking outside investment, really building things that like as much as you need to build, not being sort of overly creative or overly complicated. And so they had this this post yesterday where they're like, they're changing the way they operate. And number one is no more societal and political discussions on our company Facebook account because the social and political waters are choppy. No more paternalistic benefits like farmers market shares, fitness, wellness allowance, et cetera. It goes on and on. But I'm really curious, as y'all were reading this, what were your first... Because Vanessa, I know you and I are on the same Twitter. Cyrus, I don't know what your Twitter feed looks like, but mine like exploded yesterday over this. So what were your initial reactions to reading this post? What really stood out to you? It is absolutely outrageous. Like, <laughs> as you said, how did it get it wrong in a paragraph and a half? You know, <laughs> like, it is absolutely outrageous. 
uh, you know, I just want to pull out a point that stands out to me the most, of course, is the no societal or political discussions on our company base kind of account. Because, of course, what are you going to do? Remove yourself from society? If you're not engaged in the social world and you're not staying relevant, what the hell is the point? But I want to draw your attention to, I know this is a smaller thing, perhaps, but no paternalistic benefits. For years, we've offered a fitness benefit, a wellness allowance, a farmer's market share, but we've had a change of heart. It's none of our uh, business what you do outside of work. What a strange hill to die on. What yeah. a strange thing to think. All of the social benefits that we do that make us part of a community, because as organizations, wouldn't it be nice if we thought of these institutions as actually part of the communities that they're situated within? All of the things that make our workers come together and make our workers thrive as workers, as human beings who are alive, not just workers. Let's just cut all of those things. You know, let's just, and to call them paternalistic is such a strange <laughs> response to something that people have been pushing for, you know, for decades in the workplace is more live-work balance, more more ability to be a human. It is such a strange thing to 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 thrust forward but of course my biggest issue is is of course with the no political discussions oh yeah <laughs> sorry no thank you because that it's funny i didn't i saw the twitter blowing up i saw you know skims the thing and i just kind of rolled my eyes and i was like oh and lauren and i were talking earlier more white tech bro bullshit right like let's Let's just not deal with what's happening in the world. So this is like the most clear example of white supremacy. Let's lean into our privilege and say, we can't deal with these things, so therefore we won't. And if we ignore them, they'll go away. Let's not acknowledge that people's actual living selves are politicized every day. Let's just not acknowledge that that's like something you walk out the door with, however, whoever you are, and it's a political statement just for, for being. And then the final one is like, <laughs> for a company that's that's rested on these laurels, talk about the complete opposite of what they've been talking about for so long. And more importantly, the use of paternalistic to me is the perfect example of the continuation of the lack of social contracts that we're willing to hold on to anymore, that we are all connected, that we're all part of the same community. And when you thrive, I thrive. The belief that that's paternalistic and also someone can give you that right is part of the problem, is part of the broken, the whole broken safety net situation in the United States, the whole broken like idea that people deserve quality and dignified lives. Like it's just, so I think it was like the world's biggest eye roll. And then I just moved on because, <laughs> because you know, where are you supposed to focus your energy? Like honestly, at this point and you know what, there'll be some statement in a, probably a week or two where they'll be like, you don't understand what we were trying to say. You missed what we were talking about, you know, and gaslight, 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 like textbook, 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 textbook. Thank you for saying gaslight, because that's exactly the way this reads. It takes the things that we've been fighting for that we've said are important, like you know, the ability to review your manager as much as your manager is reviewing you. And they've turned that around and said, no 360 reviews because it's too much work for you. Well, no, I've asked for this. Like, hold on a minute. But it's gaslighting because it's a way of making it seem like the, the, the bizarre choices in this memo are somehow our our wishes. It's because it's, it's what's best for us. When in fact, everything that 
they're cutting are the things that would make it a workable a work environment. I mean, I just want to draw your attention to this I, this one sentence. You don't. You shouldn't have to about the political. You shouldn't have to wonder if staying out of it means you're complicit or wading into it means you're a target. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, this is if this is the framing and what it means to be socially engaged in the world is that you're either quote unquote complicit in what in white supremacy. Or you're a target, like, it, it, what are they even saying? So I don't know that there is a statement that could be made on Twitter or otherwise that would make me forget this statement was put out. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to come out of this. But I do think that, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who probably applauded this Twitter. Oh, yeah. Because we're reacting. And our Twitter feeds are curated, perhaps, in a way where a lot of people were reacting. I'm sure there are people who are thinking, this is great because now I don't have to you know, address my white supremacy at my job. Now I don't have to listen to my employee who's giving me feedback about how I've managed. Now I don't have to, you know, arrange to make sure that the, that so-and-so has your farmer's market info or whatever the, you know, it's very bizarre. Yeah, I, I think it's it's so wild. And I can't keep, as I read it, I kept thinking about, you know, in your 20s when you're like rocking in a, tw- a really tight friend group and then there's a couple that breaks up and then everybody knows everybody's business all at once. And I remember sitting and talking to a friend and she said, I'm tired of doing the right thing for the right reasons <laughs> about her partner and why they were breaking up. And that's what this this feels like. They've decided to like absolutely do the wrong thing for the wrong reason on purpose. Like it's just, it's so, I don't know how you take a workplace culture that they were so vocal about. And if they'd been quiet about their workplace culture, like nobody would have cared. Oh, yeah. They've written books and profited on, you know, on this idea that they're a good place to work. And I see Courtney Harge brought up in the chat, like, I thought the same thing, like the paternalism of like, what is wrong with a farmer's market? Like somebody, somebody hates organic food. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's so specific. And I'm so, so anyway, what's your bet? Where do you think, what do you think happened? What did one of those founders get accused of that, that created this? Because this post is a reaction to something we don't know about, right? Oh, interesting. It's a good question. Who knows? The, the the thing for me is like someone got caught doing something and doesn't want to have that come to light. Someone, there's a deal on the table somewhere that is going to inform something for Basecamp Forward or three white people, just white people. They got scared. They got nervous about the current climate. You know, they're looking at their other peers and wondering if you know, but also someone who probably who comes from a place of privilege assumes that people get to pick and choose how politics plays out and that they, they that you can you can opt out, you know, of, of these conversations. And so I don't know. I mean, I hate to say that and and mean it, but it's just like I can't explain any other way. Like it's just a white male doing white male yeah. thinking. <laughs> I have a feeling that likely these values that are exposed in this, I don't even know what to call this, this this info sheet, I think that these values are probably held dear by people in leadership and probably have 
been mm-hmm. held here for a while. I bet there's been a bit of a push-pull about the direction. And for whatever reason, this is what's won out. And we know that this always is what wins out because of white supremacy being dyed in the wool of our workplaces. And so that kind of dude bro, uh, white cis het kind of narrative that 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 we see in the writing of this. I mean, it's written like, like a textbook of neoliberal white supremacy, but this is sort of an example of, yeah, I think that probably these feelings have been held at the company for a while and who are now that now it's just one out. So anyways, I'm so thankful uh, that you brought this as an example, because of course now I've got, my blood is sufficiently boiling uh, to be ready for, yeah, I'm going to write back on Twitter, let me tell you that. But I think, you know, focusing on, on David and Jason, the founders of Basecamp and them feeling like, you know, it was their decision to make, right. Which is, you know, represents a level of hierarchy and, you know, that in and of itself is, is paternalistic, you know, in a company. So I'm curious about that, but I'm also, I got to tell you, I woke up this morning thinking about the the black and brown people who are, who are in the organization because, I mean, I'm guessing they're dusting off their resume, but this had to have been a hostile organization for them prior to this sort of, prior to, to the company shooting itself in the foot in this way, Right. I mean, you would imagine that this is this is part and parcel. I mean, if anyone was at the helm is able to write what they've written here, I mean, it's so it's so racist and sexist and violent, right? Because of course, it presupposes that people don't have families, it presupposes that people don't have uh, self determination, like it it's uh, you don't have disabilities. Like the way it's written is is written with very few employees in mind, you know, being able to fit into this mold. So you can imagine what a great you know that probably was a very difficult environment. Anyways, for these racialized employees, I think what I would be thinking about would be, okay, so, you know, that black square that you put on your profile last June, mm-hmm. that was just bullshit then? Is that what, I'm sorry to swear, but so that was, that really meant nothing. We knew it meant nothing when a lot of these orgs put their square, but I don't know if Basecamp put a square, but once you write a statement that says we're no longer going to comment about political issues on our social media, you've put a nail in your coffin right there. And what that would mean to me as a racialized employee is that when racism happens to me in the workplace, where am I to go? You know, that this is not an organization that's going to be able to help me through white supremacy if I experience it on the job, anti-blackness if I experience it on the job. This doesn't create a feeling of safety or security for me as an employee to feel like I'm going to be supported when these things happen in my in, at my job. You know, if an organization is going to go out of its way to say, when we comment on politics, like, I'm sorry, there should be no two sides on the George Floyd killing. I mean, the, the man was killed and murdered by the police. That's not about what, how do they say, wading into the waters and being, you know, a target or a complicit. I mean, it should actually be pretty straightforward. When we see violent and injustice such as that, you should be able to make a comment on that. And if you're not able to understand how to make that comment, that says a lot more about where you're at in terms of your race politics. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And like, yeah, what about those employees? What are they going to do? And I think one of the things that I've been thinking about, you know, just as you were talking, is how is how these types of companies and situations kind of continue with the ethos that the only purpose of business is to make money. The only purpose of business is to have this one sort of, this like single characteristic. But if you look at like, you know, all of our communities and cultures before so much of this form of capitalism was the only option, we like 
worked with each other. We relied on each other, whether it was for goods and services, we, we traded, we bartered, we like understood that things were finite and that you paid for quality materials that were going to last. This just continues to be to me just that like end stage capitalism that <laughs> continues to like claw its way up. But I, I hope that we're in a place now for those employees that so the conversation has shifted and that there are new social relationships being developed around these conversations. And we can have sessions like work shouldn't suck. And it's actually a real thing. And that survey that Tim shared where like 0% of people want to work five days a week in an office is the perfect example. The question is, what are we going to do, though, to start to come back and create the better safety nets for our employees going forward? That isn't farmers markets, but is like healthcare. So in the United States, we have garbage healthcare. The ability to have healthcare, and so that when you get sick, you can continue working. The ability to like have the flexibility if you're a single mom or you just are a single person who needs time for mental space to not have to do a nine to five. And the, the agency we need as people to define how work can work for us is, I think, the work right now. So what are the social safety nets we have to focus on? And then, you know, how are we creating the process so that people can actually have a life outside of work? So I don't know. I think that's that's the moment where that we're beginning to posit. There's a whole lot that needs to happen, though, on the, the policy side for us to even get there. We've been thinking about here in New Mexico. I'm a small business owner. I've got employees and I can't offer meaningful benefits right now. So we are, you know, looking to history to say, how did how did people create cooperative like forms of health insurance like what's the mass numbers we need to be able to get quality like particularly native american health care insurance those are the things i'm thinking about right now as we move forward because yeah. i don't know what we're going to do in terms of office either and i wonder like you know it's so interesting because at the same time as base camp was making this statement you know you have other organizations reading like uh, reading books on transformative justice, reading books on abolition, thinking through how to have an abolitionist rooted organization, how to resolve conflict in your organization without, you know, relying on carceral logics and punishment. And so you have these organizations making these massive conceptual leaps, you know, who they're, they're going through a, a systems change and they're trying to learn how to be better and more agile and respond in ways that tie into the abolitionist drive that we're seeing in the community. So I work at an institution, I work at a university, and my department chose to read collectively Beyond Survival, which is that incredible book by Leo Lakshmi Piepsnia Samarasina and Ajiris Dixon that looks at transformative justice stories from the field, including in workplaces, and, and how to implement them. And so we collectively read that book together over a period of weeks and had a reading session to think about what would it mean to take a non-punitive approach in our, you know, re relationship to the university and our relationship to our students and our relationship to our colleagues. So you have organizations doing the work of trying to push forward into a new direction, and then you also have organizations taking 17 steps back, as we saw with Basecamp. So I think what's very interesting right now would be to figure out what kind of organization am I in, actually? Am I in the kind of organization that's taking 17 steps forward and meeting the challenge where we're at and saying, okay, how do we live abolitionist lives? How do we create a community after capitalism falls? How, do, how does our organization last until 2030? And then you have these organizations who are like, let's go back to 1983. <laughs> 
And that's what we saw in the space camp email was let's go back to 1983 and we'll just live in that in that in that area for a while. I'd rather be in an organization that's moving forward and moving into these new directions that we're seeing in the social world. So to me, I, I feel like there's, you know, I, I think you're right, Lauren, they're dusting off the resumes. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would, I would be very hesitant to want to stay somewhere long-term that was taking these kind of steps backwards. And I wonder how much people reflect on how, on the way they were taught to lead an organization was really based on, you know, compliance and control instead of liberation. Because to me, you know, the law, to Vanessa's point about healthcare, the law says that we have to sort of offer certain things. They're, they're a ceiling. I mean, they're, they're a floor. And that floor is, you know, so far below the surface. But if we get to liberation, we get to the point where Vanessa's sort of talking about what are the ways that we have historically operated to get people what they need. And, and I also want to, um, I know we have about 10 minutes left in this conversation. If there are any questions for Vanessa and Cyrus, um, feel free to drop them in the chat. And we'll, we'll, I'll do my best to answer them or to ask them and then they can answer them. I'll make them do the work this morning. But what are some of the core tenets of a place where POC wouldn't dust, be dusting off their resume? You know, like the political statements on Twitter is, is a good place to start. But what are the deeper sort of core values? Vanessa, I know that when you do events with Data Women Lead, there's always childcare there. And that, to me, seems like a, a no-brainer. But for some organizations, it seems like it added expense or an added level of coordination. But what are the other sort of things that you're, you know, how are y'all operating that that's sort of bringing in the sense of imagination and liberation? We never question or negotiate people's time and what they tell us it costs. It is something we kind of try to work with, which is like, you believe this is what you're worth? We're going to start there. So part of it is like, <laughs> just recognizing, because we work quite almost not exclusively because it's not exclusive. It's just a lot of the folks we end up working with are women of color. And a lot of them within the Native Women Lead Network are like, you know, 35 to 45. So a lot of them are mothers, caretakers of young people and older people. And so we knew immediately, not only is childcare important, but access to quiet time for these women or for people to be able to find space to just be alone to to meditate to think if they needed like access to spiritual materials they were there so this is just for all events that we try to do but additionally we pay for every speaker and their time we never not pay we don't ask people to do us favors and it's something that i didn't realize was such a big deal until i got in the conference circuit myself and realized how much i had to fight for yeah. compensation for one hour and how hard it was and people were like, well, that's not what we do. We pay for, you know, the event, da, da, da. And it's just like, how is that possible? How is it that we're not, you know, honoring? So those are some of the things we've done. But in my company at Run Horse Consulting, you know, we we basically have created the process forward where we will be an employee-owned company over the next, like, two years as we move forward that way. And that was my desire and gift to help build opportunity and wealth and assets for my team and my staff who've never had that before. And so in, in that building, you know, they get to be a part of the decision making. We ultimately hope to move completely to like team leaders, similar to like a law firm where there's just like lead folks who develop their portfolios. But honestly, it's just imagining a future in which people have agency, have self-determination as you shared, Cyrus, and also the ability to make choices on things we get to build and create. And it seems so simple, 
But it turns out it's actually so antithetical to what most folks think of in terms of company, in terms of what matters. And I'll be honest, like I've had to go to banks to get, you know, additional money and resources to help me grow this. And when I talk anything outside of traditional business practices, I become a risk <laughs> to, pro to provide lending and resources to. So anyways, those are just some examples. We'd love to hear yours though, Cyrus. Yeah, well, we, we're, I'll talk about Black Lives Matter Canada because we're in the process that we have a small staff team. It's a national, you know, organization that uh, provides support around Black liberation, you know, nationally. And we have the small staff team and we were determined from day one to be the kind of workplace where people want to want to be engaged. They want to stay connected. So it's rooted in Black liberation. It's rooted in Black justice. You know, we have you know, made sure that there are things like benefits and sick days and on all of the things that you would want, you know, yoga classes and all the things that, that Basecamp has just cut, we've made sure are, are available. But also we wanted to make sure that we're building out the capacity for our team to grow and diversify in the future. So we've been uh, doing ASL classes with all of our staff because one of the things that I find outrageous is that we're still in a situation where we're completely segregated between hearing and deaf and hard of hearing communities. We've created a world where we're in different schools, different workplaces, different communities, and never the two should meet. And we wanted something better than that for our communities. We wanted Black, deaf, hard of hearing, and hearing communities to be working together for the liberation of all of our people. So we've all been learning ASL, Black ASL actually, which is a specific uh, dialogue dialect. Uh, we've been learning Black ASL since January uh, with an incredible ins Black deaf instructor and just doing these kind of things that are kind of building us towards an organization where we could have deaf and hard of hearing people working with us and we can all communicate with each other. So just starting to, to work from day one with the plan of becoming more and more and more reflective of the diversity of the country rather than less and less and less, which is what we're seeing in space camps. No, 100%. It's values. What are your your values? I think everything you're saying, I just think about, like, so much of our work, we talk about, we need to understand if we're values aligned, what are the values of what we're creating, how do the values hold us accountable? And I will tell you, most times, most folks don't want to go there. It's just too much work. It requires too much time. But it's like, if you aren't willing to build a true relationship, which is going to be bound by values, it's going to be bound by trust. It's just not worth it. It's just ultimately long-term not worth it. And I think that's exactly, and also, by the way, I had no idea there was Black ASL. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because amazing. the videos are amazing. You've got you've to gotta check it out. Yeah. Oh my God, I got to find this. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's uh, Tim's back, which means that we're, we're running out of time. I'm usually super happy to see Tim, but this time I'm not. I'm so I'm so happy I wasn't moderating and that I could just sit there and listen to this conversation. Oh God, that was that was amazing, Cyrus Vanessa. Thank you so much for for starting the the summit off with us. That that panel was was terrific, and I I look forward to being able to go back and re and rewatch it. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I wasn't done. I want more time, but we could literally talk about this all day. That's the thing is that there's. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad it's a whole summit because there's so much juicy stuff to talk about. Yeah, we'll hang out and we'll get, we'll get lots of time to talk later on. Find more about the Ethical Reopening Summit, including speaker bios and session recaps at workshouldsuck.co backslash ethical hyphen reopening hyphen summit hyphen 2021. 
If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or a five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. Until next time, thanks for listening.